Good morning. I want to thank Dean Edwards, Dr. Doran, faculty at the seminary here for inviting me to come back and uh, do this lecture series. Uh, many familiar faces in here. Some of you don't know that I grew up in the church here, uh, heard the gospel here, came to faith here, was baptized here. Uh, I went to the school here, so I uh, went to uh, kindergarten through high school here, and then I actually went to the seminary as well. So uh, I have a lot to be grateful for uh, uh, to this place, and I'm really glad to be back. So thanks for having me. Um, I wanted, since these lectures are named after Dr. Rice, I wanted to share a story about Dr. Rice to begin with. So, I, I mean, his he retired, uh, I think I was in third grade when he retired, so I didn't really know his ministry. I wasn't aware of it. Uh, but when I was a student, uh, I think it was when I was a student at Southern Seminary, I, uh, I was able to uh, spend some time with him. Uh, down, we were in Florida, uh, my dad and I went to Florida, and we were staying at the Vandervoort's house. I, you know, some of you guys know this. This is why I'm say, saying this. But uh, and his house was like a few blocks away, I believe. So we are, we went over to spend some time with him, and I was able to sit down and get some one-to-one time with him, and uh, which I uh, really valued. But uh, he told me uh, the, the thing that sticks out to me is that he told me he originally went to Faith Presbyterian Seminary. If you're familiar on, on the East Coast. I think that's where Francis Schaeffer went. And, uh, and he said that in, in that day, it was a long time ago, obviously, but that Presbyterians normally would preach doctrinal sermons. And so that's kind of how they were, he was being trained. And the reason that he transferred to Grace Seminary in Winona Lake, Indiana, was because he wanted to learn how to preach expositional sermons, how to preach from the Bible. And so I thought that was interesting. And I think it's a legacy in his ministry in the church here and uh, in, in the seminary. And I think it's a legacy, a legacy worth continuing to promote and what we assume we forget, right? So uh, legend has it that he preached something like 15 years through the book of Acts and uh, made a traumatic scar on everyone's memories to like the point where no one can preach or teach on Acts since I don't know if anyone has preacher taught in Acts. I'm not sure that I would recommend that uh, <laughs> approach, but, uh, you know, I don't know if that's true or not. That's just, that's, that's the legend. All right. Well, uh, thanks again for coming today. Uh, my, my, my three lectures today will basically be covering topics that my book uh, that I published two years ago is about. It's a book about faith and Pauline theology, and it's set in the context of what's called the Pistis Christu debate. So what I want to do is, uh, in this first lecture, I want to kind of introduce that debate and kind of set the context. So this first lecture is going to be just some kind of history of the debate. And so we won't really open our Bibles very much. Uh, and then in the, but, you know, uh, rest assured, in the second and third lecture, we're going to be opening our Bibles, looking at texts and, and trying to see uh, what Paul teaches. Uh, so this lecture is entitled, The Importance of Theology in the Pistis Christu Debate. And first, I just wanted to introduce this debate. Some of you are familiar with it, uh, others of you are not. It is a very familiar debate in New Testament studies, so it's kind of old hat if you're in that, you know, if you're in that realm of discussion. But, uh, uh, but um, many people... Uh, on the lay level may not even know that it exists. So let me just briefly kind of introduce it. Uh, 
So the pistis Christu debate is a debate over the phrase pistis Christu in Paul's letters. Pistis means faith and Christu means of Christ. And uh, this phrase occurs in various forms eight times in Paul's letters. And the, the basic debate is, does it, is Christ the object of faith? Uh, does this phrase mean faith in Christ as it's traditionally been translated? Or is Christ actually the subject of faith? Uh, should we translate this, the faith or faithfulness of Christ? And, and that's kind of the basic debate. The phrase faith of Christ, pistis Christu and Paul is kind of like the phrase love of God in English. If you think of the phrase love of God, does that mean love for God? Or does that mean God's love for us, right? Is God the object of love or the subject of love? It depends on the context, right? That's, that's the basic debate uh, here. There's been a ton written on this debate. Uh, and um, to the point where I understand why someone might even say, why does it even matter? Let's throw our hands up into the air, cast a lot and see what God decides, okay? I, and, and I can understand that. I mean, isn't our faith in Christ important and the faithfulness of Christ also important? Uh, this is a little a phrase that occurs eight times. Why does it really matter? Maybe just a shift of emphasis. And um, I would argue that it does matter and not just because I'd like to sell more books, you know, <laughs> on an obscure academic topic. Uh, but I would argue that it matters, um, it matters uh, because this phrase occurs in Paul's most important discussions of justification. And um, I'm a little behind on my PowerPoint here, uh, but um, it occurs in two of the phrases occur in Romans 3, 21 to 26. And if you're familiar with the book of Romans, you know this is at the heart of where Paul's kind of explaining what he's all about, that the righteousness of God is revealed by faith. Uh, three of the occurrences are in Galatians 2, 15 to 21. Uh, where Paul recounts kind of confronting Peter at Antioch and just and you know, leads that into the discussion of justification in Galatians. And then one of the phrases occurs in Philippians 3, if you're familiar with that passage where Paul says, I've counted all things lost that I may gain Christ and be found in him, having a righteousness not of my own, but uh, that which is through faith of Christ. So, so uh, one thing I would say is that these phrases occur in these key places in Paul's letters, even though they only occur eight times, uh, they occur in, in very important uh, places. And the other thing that I would say is that uh, each, each one of these phrases, sometimes the way this is, is, is uh, depicted, faith of Christ, uh, it can obscure that each of these phrases is within a prepositional phrase uh, with by or through, like by faith or through faith. And, uh, and that means that really each of these phrases is talking about the means by which we are justified. So really, this is a debate, not merely over like a little translation issue, but it is kind of a debate about how are we justified? How are we saved? It's a debate about soteriology or it's a debate about theology. And what I'd like to do in this lecture is I'd like to show to you how theology is so central to this debate. And, and it ha I, I really want to show you how it has been central from the beginning of the debate. Sometimes, so I, I'll just throw my cards on the table, right? Uh, that I, I do think we should translate these phrases, faith in Christ. Um, but sometimes people who hold my position would say, let's just set aside all the theological stuff and just like 
talk about the grammar. How should we translate it? And uh, there's a famous article written by someone who holds my position. It's called Detheologizing the Pistis Christu debate. It means like, let's just leave all the theology aside. Uh, and then those on the other side who hold the faithfulness of Christ's translation would, would tend to emphasize theology. What I've tried to do in this book is say, that's important, and they're right. Theology is, this is a debate about theology, and, and we need to address these theological arguments and not just the grammatical arguments. And, and, and I, I want to try to show that to you, why theology is important in this lecture. So, uh, why don't I start? I'm going to be kind of giving a history of the debate a bit, but especially trying to show you how theology is central to it. And I want to do that by explaining what I call the theological argument of the faithfulness of Christ view. And to do that, I'm going to introduce you to the book that kind of changed the discussion that really started this debate. And it's a book called The Faith of Jesus Christ by uh, Richard Hayes. It was actually his dissertation. In most dissertations, you know, your committee members read it, your mom buys a copy, it goes on a shelf in a library and collects dust, you know, until they like decide to weed out the library, all right, or the Lord comes back or whatever, all right. Uh, some dissertations really make an impact, and this dissertation uh, really started uh, the Pistis Christu debate, and it's just, it's led to a, 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 a as I mentioned, just uh, a whole a whole bunch of literature written on this and much research done. And I understand why. It is a brilliant dissertation. Uh, and, and, and Richard Hayes is a brilliant and well-respected theologian. If I remember rightly, he wrote this dissertation at Emory in the 70s, uh, and then it was, published, uh, it was published in 1983. And, uh, and Hayes taught, he first taught at Yale, and then he taught, he was the longtime dean of Duke Divinity School and, uh, and, and he's well-respected in New Testament studies for good reason. Uh, it was republished in a second edition in 2002 by Erdman's. Uh, not many books get published in a second edition, and then not many dissertations even get, you know. So uh, it's, it's a very significant book, and, uh, and it's had a big impact. But in, that, in, in the second edition, Hayes writes uh, kind of, you know, it's, you can see how it's 20 years later, he, and he writes kind of an introduction. He, you know, he says something like, you know, one of the rings of purgatory should be having to read your own dissertation, you know, 20 years later or something like that. You know, and, and he, he reflects, on, he reflects on, uh, uh, on the book. And one thing that he says, and I think this comes across in the book as well, is that in some ways the book is mistitled. You know, you would read this book, you'd look at this book in the title, and you'd see the faith of Jesus Christ, and you'd think, this book is all about this phrase, faith of Jesus Christ. And that's its, that's its legacy. That's what it's known for, is, is this Pistis Christu debate. But really, he says the subtitle is more of a key to what he was after. Uh, and the subtitle, you can see, is the narrative substructure of Galatians 3, 1 to 4, 11. And what he's getting at there is the, the storied, uh, structure of Paul's gospel or Paul's theology. What Hayes really cared about was Paul's theology. What Hayes really cared about was Paul's soteriology. And then as a secondary issue, but closely related to that, is the translation issue, uh, uh, the faith of Jesus Christ. So I want to try to show that to you. Um, to understand Hayes's argument, one thing you have to understand is that 
he is essentially writing against Rolf Bultmann. Uh, he says somewhere in the book, he says, even where he's not named, Boltmann is always the unstated elephant in the room, <laughs> all right? Uh, and, and one thing to know uh, uh, is that, how, how many of you have heard of Rudolf Boltmann before? I'm just curious. Okay, so a, a lot of people have, okay, and, and, and some haven't, and that's fine too. But in the, uh, after, the, after the war in the 50s and 60s, uh, everyone knew who Rudolf Boltmann was, in a sense. Uh, one of the most famous New Testament scholars in the world, a German New Testament scholar, but many of his works were translated into English. And, um, and almost everyone was a Bultmannian um, in, in, in higher education. Now, uh, what I mean by that is kind of mainstream, mainline, you know, the universities and seminaries. Um, uh, of course, you've always had the pushback of evangelicalism and fundamentalism to that. But Bultmann had an enormous influence, and he especially had an enormous influence on the meaning of faith. Um, if you, Bultmann's theology, which was translated into English, uh, you know, when he talks about Paul's theology, he, he kind of the two categories he uses is like man before faith and man under faith. And, um, and how many of you have heard of TDNT before, the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, you know, seminary students, it all sits on your shelf and you never look at it, right? And, you know, one day it'll, you know, when you retire, someone else will take it and it'll sit on their shelf and never look at it. There are still some good insights in, in that, all right, that you should look at, all right? But uh, the, uh, the article, the long article on, fa on faith, on pistis pistuo, Boltmann wrote that, uh, so Boltmann had just this enormous influence uh, on the discussion of what faith is in Paul. And what Hayes was doing in his book in many ways is responding to Boltmann, uh, specifically responding to Boltmann's view of Paul's theology, but then also his view of, uh, of faith. So uh, in order to understand Hayes, I think you have to understand a little bit about Boltmann on this topic. Uh, one thing that Boltmann is very famous for is his project, I'm sure you've heard this, some of you anyway, is his project of demythologizing. Have you ever heard that word before? Okay, so, you know, Boltmann was a, was a modernist. He didn't believe in the resurrection, right? Um, he didn't believe modern man could believe in the resurrection. And, uh, and he said, we need to take the gospel, we need to strip off all the myth, all right, and get to the kernel of what it's really about. And, and, um, and Boltmann would argue that our faith can never rest on history, like historical events. So, of course, you know, he would say our faith can't rest on the resurrection. You know, if you read him on this in Paul, it's like he's like, Paul kind of thought it did, but he was wrong, <laughs> you, know, you know. And, and but Boltmann would even say our faith can't rest on the historical fact of the crucifixion of Christ. He would say to believe in Christ is not to believe that Christ was crucified. It's, to, it's when you hear the message preached to you, it's to embrace that message as your own and to be crucified with Christ. And what you start to see in Boltmann is that for him, faith gets kind of severed from history. It gets severed from its object, and it, and it starts to kind of turn back onto the subject. Um, and, and what Boltmann did is he, he, you know, he stripped away the myth but he wanted the power, the theological power of the Bible. He recognized the, the power of Christianity, but he reinterpreted it in terms of existentialism. And, uh, and that was his view of faith, was an existentialist view of faith. Essentially, what Boltmann thought was that when, when a preacher proclaimed the gospel of Christ crucified and risen, 
it, and, and someone heard it. What faith was, was the decision to come to a new understanding of yourself in light of this message. You know, whether it's really true or not, but when you hear the message preached, uh, you come to a decision of a new understanding of your faith and it changes your existence forever. You can see how for Boltmann, right, faith is kind of, it, it's coming back to the subject, all right? And um, the reason I explain, you know, some of you might be like, why are you saying all this? You know, we believe in the resurrection, you know? Um, well, to understand Hayes, I think you have to understand Boltmann because Hayes essentially was trying to push back on both of these points. So for Hayes, he argued that the, the gospel is, uh, that Paul proclaimed was rooted in the story of Jesus Christ, especially in his coming into the world to be crucified. And, um, and we, we could say, Hayes doesn't use this word, but we could say it's rooted in the history of Jesus Christ, right? That, uh, that there really is an object. He, he's trying to move faith back to the object of the gospel itself. And then Hayes would argue, uh, and this is where you know, we get to the pistis Christi debate, Hayes would argue that the word pistis, the word for faith, it actually, it doesn't even refer to my action uh, as, it, as a believer. It refers to the story of Christ. It refers to, namely, to the cross, that Christ trusted in God. He was faithful to the point of death. What Hayes is doing is he's pushing back against Boltmann. And, and I, would, I would argue he's, he's, in a sense, he's over, overreacting to, to Boltmann. If Boltmann had kind of the subjective turn to myself and my own existence, Hayes pushes back to the, the, the object, uh, to the story of Christ itself and to the cross. So we really see that, um, in a sense, in a sense uh, Boltmann's theology, we could say, he even says this. He says, all theology for Paul is anthropology. It's all. It's it's not just abstract thinking about God. It's about what does it mean for me, um, and what Hayes pushes back against this anthropological view, and he says, no, it's not about anthropology. It's all about Christology. It's all about Christ, and uh, and 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 he kind of sets up this opposition of Christology versus anthropology. Um, <clears throat> so. Uh, this was Hayes' argument. It wasn't just about these eight phrases. Uh, it was actually about the meaning of pistis or faith in all of Paul. And really, it was about the meaning of Paul's gospel, which Hayes thought was, was fundamentally about Christ and not about us. And another way to think about this is, you know, Hayes would say, you read Galatians. It's not all about your experience. It's about Christ and what he's done. Uh, and you can see how compelling of a view this is. If you give me Hayes or Boltmann, I'll take Hayes any time, all right? Um, with that said, I think he overreacted. Uh, <clears throat> Hayes's view has been picked up uh, has been picked up by others and in, in a kind of a school of thought in Paul's theology that is uh, it's called the apocalyptic school. Uh, and the apocalyptic school really uh, it sets apart divine action versus human action. And I'll explain this in a second. And but let me say at first uh, that people often ask, is, is, uh, is this debate uh, about Pistis Christu, is it part of the new perspective on Paul? Have you, how many of you have heard of the new perspective on Paul before? Okay, uh, People often ask, is it part of the new perspective on Paul? Well, technically no. Uh, so uh, uh, the kinds, people who tend to embrace the new perspective on Paul 
would tend to embrace the faithfulness of Christ translation. It can dovetail nicely. Probably the most famous person who holds the faithfulness of Christ translation is N.T. Wright, uh, if you've heard of uh, Tom Wright before. Uh, on the other hand, the biggest critic of Richard Hayes uh, was James Dunn, uh, was Jimmy Dunn. And if you've heard of James Dunn, uh, James Dunn is at the heart of the new perspective on Paul, or he wrote the commentary on Romans that really popularized the new perspective on Paul. And so uh, the two are not part of the same school. Uh, this faithfulness of Christ's view is not really part of, of the new perspective on Paul. Instead, it's a part of what's often called the apocalyptic uh, view of Paul's theology. And uh, the apocalyptic view of Paul's theology is, uh, is kind of a school of thought uh, that started with a, a guy named Lou Martin, uh, who's not as familiar, but he taught at Union Seminary, and he wrote the Anchor Bible Commentary on Galatians. So maybe you've seen those red commentaries. And, um, you know, people have all often appealed to apocalyptic to explain Paul's theology, that is, uh, you know, the theology of the apocalypses, like Revelation and Daniel and, and, and the extra-biblical apocalypses. Uh, what Lou Martin did is he argued that uh, the idea of apocalyptic is not just a future coming of God. Right? What, what do apocalypses say? They say things are pretty bad right now, but God's going to come break into the world and he's going to fix it all. Right? And uh, Christ is coming back, Revelation, right? to judge the world and save his people. But uh, what Lou Martin observed is that you see apocalyptic themes not only in the not yet, but in the already in Paul's theology. And so Martin's view, his reading of Galatians, which I think is, if you read that commentary, I think it's a very powerful reading of Galatians. And Martin says that in the cross, God has invaded the world and uh, he has come, he's revealed himself. He's come into the world to save his people. And, and one thing that, that Martin will emphasize is he'll emphasize, he'll emphasize God, God's unilateral divine coming to save us versus any human action. And so that's why I've entitled this, this section Divine Action versus Human Action, because those in the apocalyptic school will tend to oppose divine action to any human action and salvation, including faith. And... Um, uh, those in the school, like Lou Martin, uh, like Doug Campbell, if you've heard of Doug Campbell, he wrote this book, The Deliverance of God. The, what's the subtitle? It's the, I don't know, an apocalyptic rereading of Paul. You can see that word there, okay? Uh, those in the school would tend to say that faith cannot be a cause or condition of our justification because it would be a human action. That would just be another work, right? And that's very compelling. You know, if you're saved by faith, is that just saying it's, that it's another human work, right? Uh, and, and those in the school would say, no, we're not saved by any human action. It's all entirely of God. It's all entirely of God breaking in through the cross and saving his people. And what I would say is Hayes' view has been picked up. Hayes' view of faith of Christ has been picked up by this school, and it's kind of gained rhetorical force <laughs> and, and theological force. Uh, in, in the literature. Um, <clears throat> I, would call this a, I would call this a hyper-Protestant view of Paul or a hyper-Lutheran view of Paul. 
In a way, if the new perspective is like a critique of the, the Lutheran Paul, the Protestant Paul, the apocalyptic is almost on the other side. The apocalyptic view almost, it, 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 it takes Protestantism and it takes it to an extreme. It takes Paul and it takes it to an extreme. What I mean by that is, right, um, Protestants, uh, evangelicals would say, we're not saved by works, <laughs> we're saved by faith alone. You probably have heard that before, right? Okay, uh, right? We're saved by faith and not by anything that we do, right? This view would say, well, you know what? According to Paul, we're not even saved by faith. Uh, we're, that that even, even to say we're saved by faith would be a human work. We're saved entirely by God and his action in Christ. Um, okay, so uh, one thing I'm trying to show you here is that from the beginning, in a sense, this has been a theological argument. And, uh, and Hayes, in fact, identifies with the apocalyptic Paul in, in that, I told you that preface in that second book, he says, one of the few things that I would change in my original dissertation is I would say, uh, I, I would agree with Lou Martin's view of apocalyptic. Uh, and and, he, and he, he embraces essentially the same view. Uh, and I, I wanted to read you a quote from Richard Hayes, and this is, there was a very famous de- debate between Richard Hayes and uh, Jimmy Dunn sometime in the 80s. I've heard about it from people who were there. I wish I could have seen it myself, all right? Um, but uh, because both of those men are very compelling, interesting speakers, and it would be, you know, you know like a rumble in the jungle or something like that, okay? Uh, here's what Hayes says in response to Dunn. He says, What would it mean to say that God's justice, his righteousness, has been made manifest through our act of believing in Jesus Christ? This, if it means anything at all, verges on blasphemous absorption in our own religious subjectivity. God's eschatological righteousness can only have been shown forth by an act of God. Paul's claim is that the death of Jesus is just such an apocalyptic event. So here Hayes says, if we say we're justified by our own faith, he says, that is verging on blasphemy. It's saying, you know, we save ourselves. Uh, And he says, no, we can only be saved by God's action on the cross. We can only be saved um, by, uh, by Christ. And what I'm trying to show you is theology has been a part of this from the beginning. Um, but I also want you to feel how compelling this view can be, right? Um, because it is very God-centered. It's very Christ-centered and, and, very, and very, you know, moves away from man and, and to the work of God. Okay, um, now... One thing I want to note is that Hayes does not deny that we have to believe, all right? He, he certainly embraces uh, that we have to believe. Um, but what I would say is that, in a sense, he rejects, he rejects the idea of justification by faith, but then he rehabilitates faith via this category of participation. And, and I want to show you that now. It's very common for those who hold the faithfulness of Christ's view to appeal to the category of participation. Or sometimes in theology, we say union with Christ, participation with Christ, and, and, or union with his death and resurrection. Now, this emphasis on union or participation is by no means exclusive or, or, or original to this view. Uh, right? uh, it, there's strong roots in Lutheran Reformed theology on union with Christ and union with his death and resurrection. There's strong roots in 
modern New Testament studies on this. What's unique is that, you know, Hayes and others would say, we don't only participate with the death and resurrection of Christ, we also participate in his very faith. And, uh, and this is a category that he uses uh, to explain faith. Um, let me give you an example. I'm going to read you another quote here. Uh, and I'm sorry if this is too boring reading quotes, but you're the ones that came to an academic lecture on a Friday morning. So, you know, I don't really know what to say. Uh, but all right, um, here, here's what Hayes says. And, and notice the rejection and the rehabilitation. He says, because justification hinges upon this action of Jesus Christ in the cross, um, upon a redemption extra nos outside of us, it is a terrible and ironic blunder to read Paul as though his gospel made redemption contingent upon our act of deciding to dispose ourselves toward God in a particular way. There's the rejection. But note, then notice the rehabilitation. Does this mean that the human faith response to God's action in Christ is insignificant But for Paul? By no means. May it never be. It does mean, however, that faith is not the precondition for receiving God's blessing. Instead, it is the appropriate mode of response to a blessing already given in Christ. As such, it is also the mode of participation in the pattern definitively enacted in Jesus Christ. As we respond in faith, we participate in an ongoing reenactment of Christ's faithfulness. So you could see there, you know, he definitely would say, yes, we respond in faith, um, but right, it's not a condition, it's not the cause of our justification. Instead, we kind of reenact the faith of Christ. We, we participate in the faith of Christ. Essentially, Hayes speaks about faith like Protestants normally speak about works, right? So Protestants, if their theology is straight, right, would say, you know, we're saved by faith alone and not by works. But then what would we say? But faith is never alone, right? It's always accompanied by love and good deeds, right? So on the one hand, there's a rejection of salvation, of salvation by works. On the other hand, we say, but faith, is, but faith is always accompanied by love and good deeds, and that works are necessary, right? Otherwise, we come and do an antinomian gospel. And um, similarly, Hayes would say, we're not justified by faith, but faith is necessary, you know, as well, all right? So I, I think he kind of takes faith and puts it into the works category, essentially. Um, I wanted to mention as well, while I'm talking about participation, that because of this focus on participation with Christ, um, may, maybe if you've, read, if you've read it all in this area, this is one reason that often people, in, in my view anyway, often people will say that pistis, the word pistis in Paul, it means both our faith in Christ and Christ's faithfulness at the same time. Um, because uh, because we participate in the faith of Christ. So it really, in a sense, doesn't matter what it means. It kind of means all of it at the same time, since we're participating in his faith. Um, uh, and I'll say more about that later. So uh, <clears throat> what, I'm trying to, what I've tried to do here is show you that really this debate has been about theology from the beginning. And our response should not be, in my view, it should not be 
let's just set this, all this theology aside and talk about the grammar. The grammar is important. But I think these kinds of arguments need to be answered. And that's what I've tried to do. And that's what I'll try to, in my book. And that's what I'll try to do in these lectures. Before we get there, uh, I, want to, I want to spend a few minutes talking about how influential this uh, theological argument has been. And um, one thing that I like to observe is that it's not only a conclusion from Hayes' dissertation, but it's actually kind of a reason for. And, and I think if you, if you read Hayes' dissertation, you'd see in, in, on, on the one hand, he'll say a major conclusion from this study is that we're not justified by our faith, but by Christ's faith. On the other hand, that's often the reason for, uh, for his argument too. In fact, he starts his main exegetical argument by saying, you know, one of the major problems in Protestant theology, especially in, in later kind of um, liberalizing Protestant theology, is turning faith into a work. And um, how should we deal with that? And he says, well, some would say, you know, faith is just a gift from God, and that's how we deal with it. And be, but he doesn't, that's not satisfying to him. And so he says, well, we need a new solution. And the solution is, well, faith is not ours, it's Christ's, all right? Uh, so you can see how it's both a conclusion from and it's a reason for. And I think if you read the literature, you'll see often this theological argument is given as a reason for the new translation. Uh, so <clears throat> um, uh, I'll give you an example. You know, one, uh, the book that I notice it most in is, there's a book by Ian Wallace. It's called something like Faithfulness in Christ in Early Christian Traditions. I can't remember, right? But, um, uh, and over and over and over and over in that book, he says, how should we understand this? Is our faith or Christ's faith? And he says, it can't be our faith. That'd be wrong. <laughs> That'd be theologically wrong, you know? And here, an example is um, in Romans 1.17. Maybe you're familiar with Paul's argument, you know, uh, where he quotes Habakkuk 2.4. He says, the righteous shall live by faith. And Wallace says, okay, who's that talking about? He says, that's talking about Christ who lives by his own faith. And why? Because he says, Paul's soteriology prioritizes God's grace over against our righteousness. So to take this, this clause as a reference to our faith would be a meritorious understanding of faith. And you can see he's rooting, he's rooting his exegetical conclusions in the theological argument. Another example, Ben Witherington, if you've heard of him, his commentary on Galatians, Witherington holds to the faithfulness of Christ's view. He says, in his commentary on Galatians, he deals with the Pistis Christi debate. All English-speaking commentaries on Romans and Galatians are going to deal with this, and Philippians. Um, and Witherington says, I conclude, not least because of where the emphasis lies in Paul's thought when he discusses justification, namely on the Godward side of things, not on the human response, that the phrase faith of Christ is a shorthand allusion to the story of the faithful one who was obedient even unto death on the cross and so wrought human salvation. So what does he say? Witherington says, why do I draw this conclusion? Because Paul's soteriology emphasizes God's action, not our response. And, um, and then um, I, I want to quote um, Barry Mat Matlock has been one of the biggest critics of Hayes, and he parodies uh, Hayes and others in, in this. And I think it's kind of funny. And it, it, is, it, it, is, it is good parody. He says, how comes the urgent protest could Paul place such weight on human faith? And all just to score his point, how could the divine power of justification, the very revelation of the righteousness of God, lie in doffing the mental cap in the appropriate direction and cultivating the proper spiritual disposition? And he, what he's trying to catch, capture there is the rhetoric 
of the faithfulness of Christ for you that often like the theological high ground is taken and it's like, how could salvation be by our faith? You know, it's gotta be by God. That's what he's trying to capture. With that said, I do wanna note that there are some legitimate uh, theological and pastoral concerns um, coming from the, uh, the faithfulness of Christ view. And uh, uh, here's uh, one thing that N.T. Wright has said. N.T. Wright, as I mentioned, holds the faithfulness of Christ's view. He says that we as evangelicals have tended to stand, stand closer to Boltmann than we like to realize, with his emphasis on faith as experience unconnected with history and his existentialist call for a decision. I actually think Wright is correct on that. And I'll, I'll, I'll share a little story here when I... Um, when I first started teaching, uh, I taught at Louisiana College, which is a, a Southern Baptist school, and I was uh, a new teacher, and I, uh, we, we had Paige Patterson come and speak at the school. Have you, ever, have you heard the name Paige Patterson before? He's the architect of the conservative resurgence in the Southern Baptist Convention. At that time, he was kind of an icon, and, um, and, and I was invited to the, the trustee dinner because I was a new faculty member. And it was very interesting. He recounted a bunch of stories, kind of war stories, you know, and it was very interesting. But one thing he said that has really stuck with me is he said when he was a seminary student, he studied at Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And at that time, it was, it was more liberal leaning. And, and one of their main professors, New Testament professors, was a Boltmanian. Um, but Patterson is an old school Southern Baptist revivalist preacher. All right, you know, calling for decisions, everyone's coming down the aisle, all right? Uh, and, um, and Patterson said, I found studying Boltmann really helpful because of his emphasis on decision, and I incorporated that into my preaching. And I just thought, hmm, <laughs> you know? Uh, and uh, I think Wright actually has a point that, you know, the revivalism of American evangelicalism and fundamentalism is very subjectively oriented, you know, very call for a decision. That seems to be a little more closer to Boltmann than Paul, in my view. So I think Wright has a point. Uh, and then uh, let me note uh, uh, Hayes. This is Hayes's conclusion from that introduction to a second edition. Hayes says, I, uh, and let me just say, um, so Hayes is, uh, I mean, he's retired now, um, but he, uh, was a minister in the United Methodist Church, and I would say he's on the conservative end of that, all right? So not, not an inerrantist, all right, but in the debates over sexuality, he made a very strong stand uh, for traditional marriage and, and took a lot of heat for it, all right? So just trying to, you know, uh, place him here. Um, but, and, and you know, um, Hayes says, he says, I have grown increasingly convinced that the struggles of the church in our time are a result of losing touch with its own gospel story. We've gotten off message and therefore lost our way in a culture that tells us many other stories about who we are and where our hope lies. In both the evangelical and liberal wings of Protestantism, there is too much emphasis on individual faith experience and not enough grounding of our theological discourse in the story of Jesus Christ. I would agree with that. I, I mean, the essence of liberal theology, in a sense, is subjectivism, right? Uh, Schleiermacher, right? Making it all about a feeling of absolute dependence on God, right? Rather than um, God himself as he is, the object of our faith. 
And I do think a lot of evangelicalism, is, especially in America, is so rooted in the revivalism uh, of that came kind of after the Second Great Awakening and with the Second Great Awakening, and um, and that too much of our emphasis is on me and my decision, like you know, did I write it in my Bible at the right time, and you know, rather than on Christ and what He's done, what God has done for us in Him. And so I, I think Hayes actually has a good point there. Um, but what's the solution? You know, the solution for Hayes and others is to say, our salvation is not actually by our faith. It's entirely by God and what he's done in Christ and his faithful action on the cross. I want you to feel a sense of how compelling that is um, because um, I think it really is compelling. And that's one reason I think why this debate is not like kind of a traditional, like liberals hold this and Evangelicals, fundamentalists hold this. You know, a lot of evangelicals hold the faithfulness of Christ's view. Um, uh, uh, Dan Wallace is a famous example. The Dallas Seminary Net translation translates all these phrases: faithfulness of Christ. The NIV gives the footnote: um, faith of or faithfulness of. You know, so this is it's even come into our, our Bible translations. I think this view is very compelling. Uh, a quick story about this: when, when. Uh, my book was about to come out and it went to the marketing team. They sent me like eight like quotes to post on social media or something as if I'm gonna like post quotes of myself on social media. I mean, we gotta talk about this or this is a problem, okay. But um, so they sent me eight quotes like uh, from the book <laughs> and two of the quotes were me representing the argument of the other side. <laughs> Uh, that I was arguing against. <laughs> um, and uh, we, we got it worked out just fine, you know. But why? Why was that? Because whoever was doing it, that sounds really compelling and really right, you know. And, um, but is it right? You know, is it what Paul really taught? And I would say no. Uh, and that's the problem, you know. Uh, we shouldn't, we, 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 we should be careful about overreacting, and of course, we should always be tethered to what the apostles taught. That's what it means to be apostolic, right? So, so I wanted to just make some evaluations here briefly, and then, um, and then uh, as we finish up this lecture, and I'm, I, especially I'm, I'm evaluating this theological argument of Hayes and others. And there's three things that I would note. One is that I think you see with Hayes and others a de-emphasis on Christ's role as the object of our faith. Uh, that often uh, people who hold this view would say, God is the object of our faith, not Christ. Uh, or at least not very often Christ. The emphasis is on God, not, not on Christ. And I, I think, um, I mean, it, it makes sense, right, that just coming from the translation, if they don't mean faith in Christ, you know, but, but it's not just the translation issue, it's a theological issue that often it'll be said, Really, God is the object of our faith and not Christ. Uh, and, and I would say the kind of rehabilitation of faith in terms of participating with Christ, it doesn't fix this problem because when you think, you know, if we participate in Christ's faith, it's talking about him as a man trusting in God and then we trust in God as well, right? But to look at Christ as our Lord, as the object of our faith, uh, that I think gets significantly de-emphasized in this view. Uh, secondly, I would say that you see a questionable opposition of faith and grace in, uh, in this view of Paul's theology. You know, that it often be said, salvation cannot be by faith, by our faith, 
because it's, it's by God's grace, right? It's, it's, it's entirely of God and not of us. But I suggest that this misses Paul's point that faith is fundamentally in accord with grace in a way that works is not. And I would here, I'd like to show, I'd like to look at a, at a passage here. Could you turn to Romans 4? <clears throat> You know, Romans 4 is <clears throat> probably one of the most important discussions of faith in Paul's letters. And w- the one thing I want you to note here is, look at verses 4 and 5. Paul says, he, he contrasts the worker and the believer. And he says, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, literally in Greek, according to grace, but as his due. You know, so I, I tell you know, I teach undergrads, so I tell them when I teach this, I say, you work your summer job, they, you know, they pay you. You don't say, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for that. You, know? you just say, pay me what you owe me, right? Uh, so, right, it's not works or not according to grace. But verse 5, to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And I think Paul's saying faith is according to grace because we believe in the God who gives us what we don't deserve, right? We believe in the God of grace who justifies the ungodly. Look at, look at verse 16. He says, um, well, I'll, I'll read 15 as well. The law brings wrath. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and, and be guaranteed to all of his offspring. And literally, Paul again says, in order that it may be according to grace. There's something for Paul that, that faith is according to grace um, because, I mean, there's different reasons people give that it is a gracious gift of God. I, I would say, Fundamentally, because the object of our faith is God's grace to us in Christ. But um, I, I think you see in, in Hayes' view and others uh, a questionable like opposition of faith and grace, where for Paul, faith is according to grace. Moses Silva, in a great article on this debate, if, you, if you're going to read one thing on this debate, I'd read Moses Silva's argue, uh, article. It's in Justification and Variegated Gnomism. Terrible title uh, for a book, right? But... Uh, uh, but um, Silva says, um, if faith in Christ is compatible with gracious divine initiative, then the main theological motivation for arguing that Pistis Jesu Christi refers to Christ's own faithfulness turns out to be a phantom. So uh, a questionable opposition of faith and grace. And then uh, third, I think you see uh, a rejection of the very idea that we are justified by faith. And... Um, uh, Right? We're not justified by faith in this view, but we're justified by God and Christ's faithfulness. Again, that sounds very compelling, but I would say it's, it's a, uh, a wrong extension of Paul. It, it's, a, it's a wrong uh, overstatement of Pauline and of Protestant theology. Um, and, and really, it does, I think, reject the Reformation emphasis on justification by faith. But more than that, I would say it, it, it questions the emphasis placed on faith throughout the history of the church, right? That, I mean, faith is so central to salvation, right? Uh, um, you just think of even like the creeds, right? I believe in God the Father, and, and the creeds are very Christ-centered, right? They, the, the largest paragraphs are, are on Christ. So, so I think... Um, there is, you do see in this a rejection of the very idea that we are justified by faith. And not surprisingly, for some, for some who hold this view, uh, it is one kind of 
peg that underlies a universal view of salvation. Not for Richard Hayes, uh, uh, not for N.T. Wright, okay? But um, uh, there are some who would say, well, we're not justified by our faith. We're, it's entirely of God, entirely of Christ. Therefore, you don't even have to believe to be saved. Uh, everyone is saved because of what Christ has done on the cross. Uh, Doug Campbell would say this, um, who teaches at Duke. Beverly Gavanta would say this, who teaches at Baylor. And um, so I think for some, it does underlie a universalist view of salvation as well. Uh, all this to say is that I do think theology is really important in the Pistis Christu debate. And I, I hope I've shown to you that it was important from the beginning, uh, that this never was just kind of, oh, I wonder what this phrase means, <laughs> okay? That it was always more an argument, what does Paul mean when he talks about justification? What does he mean when he talks about salvation? So I think it warrants interacting with that and, and, and trying to uh, uh, wrestle with those questions. Uh, in, in the next lectures, I am, um, I'm going to engage with this theological argument. Uh, first, uh, what I'll do in the, in, the, in, in the second lecture here, I'll uh, specifically engage with a the theological argument and try to argue that Paul does emphasize uh, faith in Christ as a means of justification in his letters. Uh, and that's going to be in texts outside of the Pistis Christi text. And then in the third, um, in the third lecture, I will engage in the Pistis Christi debate uh, properly. Uh, and that'll be the snoozer. You know, if you want to leave, you know, leave after the second one, okay? Uh, but there is lunch, though, so you might want to think about that, all right? <laughs>